Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography, with me, Jem Fletcher. Today, I'm talking to art and photography journalist Charlotte Jansen. She's been writing for the last decade for publications like Vice, The Guardian, Wallpaper and the BJP. She's also the editor-at-large for Elephant magazine. Charlotte is focused on the grassroots of creative work, exploring the intersection of society and art. Her first book, Girl on Girl, explored the age of the female gaze. It's a real celebration of female identifying artists and their willingness to take up space and be seen. During our chat, we talked about her work, her book, and the responsibilities artists have when making and sharing work. If you're wondering about the odd sound you can hear, we were joined in the studio by Charlotte's one-year-old Rue, who gets involved in the conversation from time to time. Like a lot of feminist projects, it kind of came out of anger, um, primarily. I think about five, six years ago, there was a lot of talk, a lot of writing and articles, these kind of listicle type things about female photographers photographing other women. And I just didn't like the way it was being kind of talked about and classified, you know, both by photographers themselves and by the press. I thought there's something actually more deep and interesting about what's going on with that. So I kind of started doing a bit of research. I wrote an article for a website at the time about feminist selfies. And I was kind of taking down the idea of feminist selfie, which then got me embroiled in this whole um, furore on Twitter with a couple of artists um, and that made me realise like how naive I was about the whole topic and how much really debate there was kind of going on around it and how much discussion could be had around this topic so I kind of wrote a follow-up article and then I just thought uh, the opportunity came up to do something with Lawrence King they asked me to suggest some ideas to them for a book and I I suggested that and it was kind of one of those in the shower eureka moments like with the title I was just like okay and this is what it could be in the format and everything just seemed to make sense and to get the book actually through and approved by the publishers who you know at the very top it's uh, it's a brilliant um, publisher mostly run by women but obviously at the very top are um, men mm-hmm. um, and they hadn't heard of most of these artists so to get the book through I had to say that um, I was going to put Kim Kardashian in there it's like a <laughs> selfie artist uh which didn't happen in the end although I think that would be that would be quite interesting (laughs) I still think and yeah so then from there they kind of you know how it goes with um with books they give you a deadline and I just started um doing research and asking I had an initial list of about half of the artists that are in there there's 40 artists in the book and then I kind of asked the artists I knew already and curators and gallerists and for more suggestions and it's a kind of it's a never-ending research actually like as you know with photography it's just like you you open one door and then loads more things suddenly become available to you and you're like how did I not know about this before I've definitely come across 
a lot of artists since. Like I could make another volume of it now easily wow. and it's only a couple of years on. So can you talk a little bit about a couple of the artists in the book? We have Zanelli Muholi, mm-hmm. who, you know, you'll... I think most people have seen her work somewhere. She's done a crazy amount of exhibitions and festivals and really like that work that she did on her community in South Africa and the diaspora has been like explosive, I think, in terms of like um, queer gays and female gays and, you know, um, documenting a community. And some of the other photographers that I like, one photographer in particular, I think still hasn't really had her due is Pinar Yolison. She's a Turkish photographer and she did, um, I mean, she works very slowly. So I think that can be a problem. You know, it's a great thing, but it can be a problem in this kind of Instagram age. But she did some really interesting series. So she did the Maria series, which she shot in Brazil. And she actually, she studied fashion design at Central St. Martin. So she created these costumes out of meat for each of her subjects individually. And it's a condomble community in um, Brazil who are, you know, obviously quite, I think, quite suspicious and quite closed off to outsiders. But she spent a really long time with them, getting to know them, getting to know the women that she photographed. And... She's done some other series where she dressed BBB models in like latex and and paint. And I I just think that her works, like they're so colourful and pop and like minimal in a way, but also the way she talks about um, all kinds of themes to do with body and gender and beauty are really interesting and subtle. And and yeah, she's still not really had the kind of level of exposure that you see a lot of photographers getting. Um, so she's she's definitely one of my favorites. Another is um, a friend of mine, Avia Wise, who is from Israel, but now um, based in Europe. And she photographs, she kind of street casts her models and then does um, nude analog photography. But a lot of her references are kind of war photography and Holocaust prison photography. And so it's quite dark, obviously. Yeah. But I think, um, again, she kind of tries to strip bodies down to really what they are and a kind of de- decaying matter, physical kind of decaying matter. And I think that's a really interesting way of discussing who we are and what we are as well, because essentially that's what it all comes down to. I think you tackle some really interesting distinctions in the opening of the book one of them being that for you the project's very pro-women but not all the artists are feminist or coming from a feminist perspective Mm. and I wondered why this was important to you to include that broad spectrum I think because again like going back to those kind of slightly superficial list type articles it's really important I think both if you look at the work and you talk to these artists and just generally to understand that not everything that women do when they use their bodies is a political strategy or is a feminist strategy and I think that you know in interpreting everything that women do first and foremost as like a a feminist act you know it can close the work off to um, other meanings which you know they're kind of rich in in lots of other things, a lot of the works there. And many artists don't define them, you know, they just don't see it. They don't see a female body or a, this is a, using nudity as a provocation or as a political statement. It's like that's their body that they have and that's the bodies that they feel comfortable with. And I think that's a really important thing, you know, so otherwise it will just perpetuate the same myths and the same ideas and the same interpretations around women's work. And I think that's what I was really trying to open up the book I mean obviously I am a feminist and the project is feminist in in a sense of wanting to spotlight what women do and say it's been overlooked and undervalued but part of that is also accepting that not all women want to do have a feminist project 
Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like there's not just one way to describe the female gaze anyway. The richness comes from this multi-dimensional point of view. And this idea that if we experience variety, then that's the only way we're going to understand the magnitude of the gaze anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the fundamental problems is that the gaze is so the the idea of the female gaze is so new and people don't really, you know, the term sort of applied left, right and centre, but no one really understands exactly what it is yet. And it's still being defined by like I can give you my definition, but a photographer might um, give another definition. And a lot of people, I think, also even photographers in the book have a lot of um, resistance to the idea of a female gaze because exactly of what they think it is and what they think it will then, you know, the associations it will then have for their work and for what they do. So it's, yeah, I think it's just making sure that we're really clear about whose opinion is whose and what the artist's actually saying and what's really there and not just slapping it in a in a box and just saying this is what this is yeah this is everybody and and, you know feminism is still the f word it still is really off-putting for a lot of people you know like we've both been at events about these kind of topics and it's it's always like you know it's 95 percent women in the audience or you know i did a talk on childbirth last week at um elephant and you have brilliant speakers and it's a really it's a universal topic but there were only women in the audience. Another idea I really like that you talk about in the beginning of the book is this idea of like female visibility being a bit of a fallacy because we're actually surrounded by so many images of women all the time, but they're often in very specific contexts, which are quite limited, really, which is why the book is so important. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that also is true if we think of issues of race as well. And I think it's this exactly this kind of paradox of like you're hyper visible in that that women, you know, if you look on Instagram and magazines and advertising, the the predominant image that we see will be of a woman in some, you know, clothes, nude, semi-clothes, whatever it is. And yet the type of image or the, you know, the stereotypes, the ideas we get from those images is always the same. Um, You know, you could probably list it into sort of five types of women or five types of action. And I I still think that's completely prevalent. And if you look at films, it's it's everywhere. So, again, I think that the power of the female gaze or of um, young um, and emerging female photographers now is to kind of really broaden our perception of what women are and what women's bodies do and, you know, pregnancy and birth being one of them and not always having to present that via an image that's kind of beautiful and aesthetic and that kind of satisfies the patriarchal heteronormative gaze first and then can be kind of assimilated or accepted as as something else. So yeah, I I think that's something really, I've been thinking about it a lot more in terms of race recently because I've been reading a few books um, on that subject and, you know, coming from a mixed race family myself, I'm it's a topic that's always been quite interesting to me and there's been a lot of criticism and that's kind of resurfacing now about feminism being a white thing. And I think in terms of visibility, that's that's totally uh, true when it comes to race as well. You know, the kind of images of black and brown people, well, you know, they're very visible, very out there, but it's it's always a specific role that they play or a specific function. And they, those those all kind of reinforce ideas that kind of, allow capitalism to profit from us all basically so i'd love to 
Yeah, absolutely. See that collapse one day. Again, another great thing that you mentioned in the opening is this idea of we can learn a lot by looking. And, and to speak to what you just mentioned is it's so true of the whole spectrum of diversity, whether it's people of colour, queer community, body size, gender, kind of all, the whole spectrum. And, and I think we're starting to see this shift. And definitely in the last few years, we're starting to see some movement and some broader sense of representation and some more interesting voices coming up. But one thing that I've really been interested in is how long is this going to last? Because it feels a little bit trend based at the minute and it feels a little bit tokenistic. And I feel like it, you know, for it to have meaning and it to have resonance, it needs to kind of occupy an equitable space for a decent amount of time. And I'm just wondering if that's going to happen or if it's going to be more of a trend-based thing yeah it does always feel I think these days everything feels like a trend or a kind of you know a marketing like I, everything comes down to marketing now doesn't it it's yeah. like if you can market something then it's that becomes an ideology in itself you know I think when the book came out the term female gaze it was still like it was just sort of emerging through Instagram and things and then and again I think there was a lot of resistance from some of the photographers and people I've interviewed since because it's become such a trendy thing or they think they see it as that, right. you know, fashion have kind of co-opted it and used it. And obviously now it's a huge thing and we're actually seeing so many exhibitions and things coming out of that. But I think, you know, the people that um, do truly believe fundamentally in these things will keep pushing for them and will keep pushing for things to change. And I think the the beautiful thing about it being a trend is that it will get lots of other people on board with it and it will kind of help to push it forward and maybe things will be set up and things will be established and you know grants will be awarded and that then has some longevity even if it kind of disappears from being the hot topic you know on on magazines and yeah on you know on magazine covers or in galleries or whatever it is so I think um there's benefits to it like I people often talk about that you know about it being a sort of fashionable thing as well which kind of, you know, amounts to the same things as being kind of trendy. But I think, um, I always say that I think that's good. I think it's great that these topics become mainstream, even if it's for a short time, because they've never been in the mainstream before. And, you know, that might just mean that, I don't know, a whole generation of younger children, it's fashionable for a year, so they get really into it. And then that becomes, that shapes the rest of their life, you know. I mean, I, I've never, like, even when I studied feminist writing at uni, we were doing this kind of enclave of 70s feminist writers in France and it was completely esoteric to study that. And this, this is not centuries ago, you know, I was like, this is like 2000, you know, 2008, 10 years ago or something. There was one professor at my uni who was specialised in that. Wow. And it was a man as well. <laughs> and I was the only person studying that paper in my year on French feminism, which is just insane. So I think now that would be really different and you just, that the discourse is much more out there. And a lot of those um, more radical texts are getting reinterpreted and, and brought up to date and also kind of conceptualised perhaps in a more um, approachable way and a bit of more of an accessible way. And I think that's something as well that feminism has never been before. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point, actually. I mean, you can't change it. You have to embrace it. There's nothing you can do to stop it if it's, if it's going to be a trend. It's, I mean, it is a trend, you know. That's true. And if it gives more people exposure, then that's great. Exactly. Yeah. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. I wanted to sidestep here a little bit and talk about the responsibility of the photographer's gaze. And you recently hosted a panel for Photo London about community and how photographers engage with the communities that they work with. 
And this is something that I feel really passionate about. This idea that the camera is a real tool of power, but I think that sometimes that can be forgotten or even ignored. And I think images are really responsible for the way that we experience the world and how we form opinions and how we can change perceptions and the power to break or build on stereotypes. And I keep thinking about what RuPaul would say about that, but this idea (laughs) that great power comes with great responsibility. Mm. And in your experience interviewing kind of established and emerging artists, I wondered if you feel like this is something that is being taken seriously or as seriously as it should be. Well, it's a really huge topic for sure. I agree with you completely. I think that photography is everything now, you know, more so than video and, and film, like it has the power to change people's ideas and attitudes like in a second you know and obviously we're in such an image saturated and image-led culture now and it's something that's global so you have this huge power and I I do think that kind of puts quite a heavy responsibility on photographers and a lot of them maybe don't even realize what that means for their work as in you know now the kind of people that could be looking at your your work can be, you know, living in any kind of context in any sort of age group. It's not just like now, you know, you used to have magazines that are directed towards a particular demographic and now it's kind of like this big free-for-all. So you really, I think you do have to be careful and aware of that. And I think, you know, some of the photographers... Um, in um, Girl and Girl, for example, like Mayan Toledano or Petra Collins, you know, they've received a lot of criticism as well. But I think they are actually doing something that is directed towards a specific audience and is, you know, they're adding a lot of context to their work when they're putting it out there. So although, you know, you and I might look at it and think that it's a bit cheesy or a bit like, you know, it's like, it, it, but it's for, it's, for, it's for young girls, you know, it is for teenage girls and they've got a huge following and they've been really influential and they've really, I think, helped a lot of um, girls. You know, I didn't grow up with the internet, so I can't say if it's good or bad. I think it does help a lot of teenagers as well go through, going through difficult times, a lot of like, you know, forums and online communities that they kind of find each other through so in that sense I think that they've they've kind of led the way or been examples at least in that sense in terms of like how young women can represent themselves uh how they relate to one another where to go if you have problems like talking about things like periods and you know and sex education and um coming out and all these kind of things that that gives they're not just taking photographs it doesn't you know it doesn't just begin and end there yeah so I think I think the responsibility of photographers is is a lot to do with how you're putting your work out and how you're allowing it to be contextualized as well I think you have to take a bit a lot of artists will say you know I always hear like no you can't control it like once the work's out there it's out there and yeah you know I do get that as well people are gonna read from it and understand what they want from it but you can also control to an extent where that work is shown or how it's shown or you know, Absolutely. even just having some writing around it like that, that is needed. You know, we do we do need that now because an image can look totally different. You know, if you take any of their images out of context, yeah, who's going to be using that? You know, it's a, it's a dangerous, powerful tool, especially when it's pictures of, you know, young girls in underwear. So I think, you know, although you can't control everything, especially with the Internet, I think there are photographers that are doing it. Obviously, there's a lot of photographers who, who aren't doing it. But I, I kind of feel like I don't know if you feel this. Because you look, work a lot with the new generation of photographers, but I do feel that you know that millennial thing is true of being more politically engaged and more um, you know activist. There does seem to be purpose that's more than just the photograph. I think that's something that is quite 
you know, that yeah. is quite prevalent now. I think so too. I think there's definitely a wave of photographers who are much more conscious about what they're doing, how they're doing it. I mean, Alice Mann is a great example mm-hmm. of that. She's somebody who really talks about this idea of co-collaboration with her subjects and she spends a long time getting to know them. And it's more about working out with them how they want to be represented rather than her pushing on a specific angle or dictating how they're presented to the world, which I think is, you know, really powerful and a really interesting way to engage with a community. That's so important. Like she she, she described it the other night as... um you know, that all her work is a collaboration, essentially. And that makes a huge difference, especially, you know, as she said, when you're a white South African photographer going to photograph one of the poorest, you know, black neighbourhoods in South Africa that's had, um, you know, all kinds of social issues that she hasn't lived through. I think it's really important if you are doing that, that you do engage with what that means and you allow their voice and their kind of image, self-image to come through. Although I think she is quite careful about where she decides to show the work yeah. and, um, and how. But I think it's not just it's not just how you're doing that afterwards. It's also how you're creating the work yeah, itself. The methodology. That, 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 yeah, that's yeah. that's that seems to be really different, and that's something I think is also part of the female gaze, or at least has come you know out of that um, movement. Is to like it's not about just point and shoot. It's not that that photography is not that anymore. You know, it's going and like living with a community for a year in like a really remote place or I don't know photographing your friends or your family or people in your own community like you know Zanali Maholi who, who I was mentioning before and I think that it might not be instantly obvious to everyone that that's, there's that relationship but I think it's vital when you're talking about work that you're saying this isn't just like a National Geographic photographer who's come out snapped a few pictures stayed in a hotel and then like gone back and published them on the front of a magazine for however many thousands of pounds they get paid for probably not I don't even know (laughs) um you know this is actually my friend and I've lived with her through um her experience experience of rape or you know and I've seen her triumph over and I, I do think there's I personally think you can see it in the photograph but even if you can't then when you're talking about that photograph that's yeah. really essential there's a sense of authorship I think over it if you're coming from a more authentic point of view in terms of how you relate to that community, whether you're part of it or whether it's in your methodology of how you're creating the work. I mean, I definitely see a lot of people with their head in the sand as well. I wouldn't even say they're in denial about it, but just not even conscious that it's perhaps something they need to think about a bit more. And it's definitely something I'm seeing talked more about in studios, in editorial meetings and at talks, like we were saying. And I think sometimes the discussion can be a bit limited. It's one of those things that people are a little bit afraid to go there. I have noticed if people do go there, then it's often very much from kind of a slightly reductive, maybe cis white commissioner's point of view where they're Mm. trying to assert their authority or assert their integrity about their commissioning but rather nervously still, and they're kind of trying to navigate this in a way where they're talking about how they're trying to commission more in-country and things like that, which mm. I think is great, but it's it's much more than that. It's much more nuanced than that, and I think it's it's just so important that we start talking about this more because it's a big part of how we're going to shape the next sort of decade of culture and yeah, content. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting, your perspective, because you're obviously dealing more with that end of things, like whereas I'm more at the you know the grassroots level in a way in my day to day, I'll be speaking more to the to the photographers and there's no, you know, in a way, like I, I don't really go through those kind of meetings. But I did a panel at Getty who have been really trying to push the um, women and um, 
you know have a more balanced because it's, it's notorious that you know commercial agencies um i think even recently there was a report that said like only seven percent of stock photography is by women for example right. i mean if you just think about how that then affects what we're seeing and like the kind of images and um it, it is huge um and it's things that we're not even aware of so they've been trying to do this initiative which I think is a valiant attempt to kind of open up that conversation in a, you know, for a, in a big picture agency. Um, but then they did an exhibition on the female gaze and I spoke at a panel there um, about that and the show was curated by a man. So you just think that is just like a massive oversight, you know. So still, even when there's, you know, benevolence and there is goodwill to do things and change things, there's still like oversights like that happening and you're just, you know, and almost no one questioned it. People are afraid of being critical nowadays, uh, like in whether it's in, you know, art writing or in, you know, in, in lots of fields. So calling people out is, is not a pleasant thing to do but I think we have to there's just still so such a long way to go and I like as you said I think the people still in the top positions are still from the old guard and that's going to take time because people are living longer and like they want to cling on to their jobs for longer and it's going to take time before you know our generation are taking over those positions and can really like implement change. the change and yeah. and, it, and it is a, I also feel like it's a scary thing to sort of confront prejudice and to talk about things especially if they're not if it's not your position and it's something that's so alien to you and you know you don't some people I think genuinely just don't want to do or say the wrong thing but they yeah. don't know how to bring it up as a conversation you know so there's a lot of awkwardness around it still and that's why I think images as a sort of starting point for discussions are so important and so powerful and meaningful yeah absolutely I really agree and hopefully we'll start to see more of a shift it's not it's not just about the photographer I don't want to put it all on them it is absolutely about the commissioners the journalists it's it's the whole spectrum of the creative community which needs to sort of diversify in some way so then we're getting multiple dialogues also the the responsibility is more on photographers now than previously because photographers are bypassing those like gallery and magazine editorial type platforms like a lot of them are just building their own platforms have their own communities and then they're getting the commissions off the back of that community that they've built you know i say that's like a massive shift that's happened in photography with that comes like a a, a greater responsibility possibly i hadn't thought about that but that's absolutely true we talk a lot about the freedom of what the internet has given photographers and allowing them to have these platforms and allowing them to connect with huge audiences on social media but that actually does come with a lot of responsibility people can get huge overnight and not necessarily be having these discussions about their work in a meaningful way yeah and it's hard because not everyone's sort of trained or has the like ability to deal with that or to to answer some of those questions but you know even things like what i find really interesting is like you know i love reading comments on instagram on different like images if something's been controversial i mean that's a fascinating way to have like those discussions in a public sphere where there's relatively little fear I mean of course you get ridiculous things happening there because of that and like in you know things that cross the line but I think that's an amazing way to thrash out different ideas and problems and like as long as it's always if it's done in the right tone that can really also change but for photographers as well I think that's really helpful for their work to ask those questions and, and answer people's comments or, or concerns about particular types of imagery, you know. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about your work as a art journalist and how you discover the photographers that you write about. Obviously at this point, because I've been doing it for 10 years now, um, since I sort of wrote my first reviews and things for Artslant, which is, is just folded actually. I think it's just... 
a mixture of things you know it's it's come out of go, knowing galleries and knowing the galleries that I like and I connect with kind of following them quite closely and artists that I know and that I've established you know relationship with over the years like I love to write about the same artists like over as their careers evolve like that's really important to me to have that kind of ongoing thing and uh I guess always asking other artists like they tend to be the best resource for you know finding new people obviously stuff like Instagram I have made a rule to myself and it's happened naturally over the recent years but I've made a rule for myself for for this year that I'm not going to write about any white men (laughs) so that also narrows down my uh (laughs) and just to yeah to try to research a bit harder for you know like look a bit further than the obvious you know I travel a lot So I always try to get into the local scenes, you know, see what's going on. Who do people like locally that we might not have heard of? Or like just going to, you know, random, you know, discover things in the most random places. Really, You do have quite a a nomadic lifestyle in some ways, which I think is always really interesting. And compared to a lot of other writers that I know, you are great at identifying unheard of talents from different parts of the world which is always really exciting I'm always really excited to see who you write about next and I wondered in in kind of working in this way have you noticed I mean I hate this word but have you noticed any sort of trends or interesting sort of movements that you think are starting to emerge I think recently I'm obvious it's also really hard this one because it's all about your perspective isn't it and you become interested in a topic and then you're like oh everyone's talking about this but it's not necessarily you know people could have always been talking about it and you just weren't aware of it I mean that's kind of what I discovered when I started writing about female gays and you know then you research back and you realize that people have been really talking writing about this since the 70s and then these artists have done all this work and actually it goes back centuries and but I think obviously having become a mother I'm really interested in that as a topic and I do think motherhood is I mean obviously it's always been a thing I don't want to call it a thing but there have been a few um, amazing books around the subject, uh, like Sheila Hetty's book, um, which I think have just, again, it's a, it's a new conversation around motherhood. It's like, you know, we've had the, you know, domesticated bliss scenario and then we had the like having it all of the 80s. And now it's just about, you know, what are the practical, like how, what change can we actually bring about to make this, you know, and, and more equal and more fair and actually more manageable for women and how like what are we actually saying when we're trying to find this work-life balance you know when when you can't really have balance when not everything is equal in your life and what are governments actually doing to support that and you know I think there's been there's the Netflix series the beginning of life which I found fascinating from the psychological um and kind of social analysis of the situation and then there's books like talking about the other side of it like Sheila's book that's saying um, this is a topic that all women have to confront at some point in their life, whether they want children or they don't. You know, we're all a certain age. Like, you know, it's also got to do with age, obviously. You have to confront that. And if you're not going to have children, you have to kind of explain it to society why you're not. And I'm really interested in those representations in art, in visual culture. You know, so when I did this research piece recently for Elephant, the birth issue that's out at the moment, it's just like, 
pretty incredible the lack of artworks about childbirth like the actual act of childbirth like usually when you talk about birth you end up talking about pregnancy and um, early motherhood breastfeeding or like people with young children but barely anything and and that's already got me thinking about things like menopause and other things that women go through and like where are all the women aged around 50 in visual culture like where are all the stories and you know then I think those are the topics I really want to look into in the next you know in the coming months I'm like you know I'm, I'm researching more on them I did a big lot of articles and interviews with some artists that I discovered like since doing the the birth issue for elephant again like through different re- recommendations and there's a collection called birthrights in London at King's College that is the only collection in the world of of childbirth art oh, and wow. it's displayed in, in King's College in the midwifery school so things like that have connected me with more artists but again like how how come those artists are not in major galleries or having big gallery shows or you know I've never read about them in a book or you know this is my field as I said I've been working in this field for a while and I've never I think you know I talk about it in the article but I have only once walked into a piece of art that's actually directly about childbirth yeah it's fascinating so I don't know if it's a trend but I do feel it's a topic that a lot of people at least a lot of people around me are talking about and obviously I'm sitting here with you with baby (laughs) and and baby inside your your belly so um definitely for us it's relevant I think it's also about that it's about people I know going through it and the range of experiences and then that just not being represented in in culture just to finish up I wanted to talk a little bit about I mean you've interviewed some incredible people in the last decade and I wondered if you could talk about a couple of the memorable most memorable ones for you yeah there's been so many and it's not it's you know it's usually not like the the big names it's just like every week you meet a new artist that you're excited about and then when you talk to them and they're also like just really nice people with really like that they're just really engaging and really um you know you can just have a a great conversation about their work and about life and like that's just the best like that's what keeps me excited about doing this job and like about art because it's just a way to connect with people and different ideas and you just learn so much like all the time through art. Charlotte where can people find you on the internet? Well I'm on Instagram of course and my handle is omfg no way and you can find me at elephant magazine I've got um, a page there and you know I'm regularly writing there. Perfect thanks so much thanks for coming Thank you and I love you and I love your work as well. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs>